Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now today you people are no longer maggots today you are marines you're part of a brotherhood. From now on, until the day you die, wherever you are, every Marine is your brother. Most of you will go to Vietnam. Some of you will not come back. But always remember this, Marines die. That's what we're here for. But the Marine Corps lives forever. And that means you live forever. What's going on, everybody? We are back. This is episode 218 of the Dark Windows podcast. My name is Kevin. And I'm the Kevin. So this week, um, I rolled a cult. Yes. So we are going to talk about uh, some Marine Corps shit. (laughs) No, I I couldn't find a cult that I was like, yeah, this would be a lot of fun to talk about. Um, And the Marine Corps birthday will be on the day of that this releases, so... Um, it's tomorrow. The Marine, yes, happy birthday, Jarheads. The Marine Corps isn't a cult. Uh, people that own Jeep Wranglers are, though. They're stupid fucking duck stuff. Like, what? Oh, you, you've never heard of that? Duck stuff. Okay, so if you own a Jeep Wrangler, you're supposed to keep a rubber duck in it, so that if you see somebody else in the parking lot that has a Wrangler, you can go put a rubber duck on their on their Jeep. What? It, it's fucking stupid, dude. I don't understand. I'm telling you. <sighs> Whatever. It's like the least dangerous cult in the world, but yeah, people that own Jeep Wranglers are definitely doing some cult shit. Um, so it's it's stupid. Um, hey, you know, about like as stupid as the fact that <clears throat> the dead guy that I saw, um, and and then told the the staff at the the place I was at. Yep. Well, then it got the just made the paper this week. And um, they claimed that uh, the staff found the body. I mean, technically. No, I found the body. Well, yeah, but you were working there. I wasn't. I'm not staff. No, I'm but you contractor. were working there, though. I'm a contractor. Right. But that's not how the newspaper is going to write it because they don't give a shit. No, they just didn't say that because they were like, ah. Oh, well, well. Speaking of dead guys, there was another one in Rutland uh, yesterday, day before last, whatever. Some stupid bullshit over drugs. The guy got fucking shot in his car and drove like a half a mile down the road and slammed into somebody's house and died. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to Rut Vegas, baby. 
And they still haven't caught the shooter. No, they never will because they don't give a shit because it's a dead drug dealer. So, I mean, whatever. Like, hold on. You hear it? I'm playing a violin because, you know, some scumbag bringing fucking like fentanyl and shit and heroin up here from wherever the fuck. Um, I believe they said he was from Brooklyn, but I'm not going to stereotype and say all New Yorkers do drugs, but most New Yorkers sell drugs. At least up here. And most of them hang out at Walmart. <laughs> Fucking gross. Um, Probably. Not to besmirch the good people of Walmart, because, you know, you guys are all right and stuff, but, um, yeah. We have a huge fucking intravenous drug problem in our state, and it's fucking not getting any better. Because we're just like, ah, Narcan them and send them on their way. <clears throat> you know. Because we also have the largest city in our state has, uh, I think they're up to about two dozen safe shoot-up locations where people can go and do all their heroin and shit, and the police can't do fucking nothing about it. Yeah. The only time anybody from law enforcement is allowed in the building is to Narcan somebody. So, yeah. It's like, yeah. I understand that it's an addiction, and addictions are a pain in the ass. They, they suck, but... Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> I got a message from one of our uh, of our uh, faithful uh, over in, across the pond. You know, one of our two uh, people. It was Danny. That... Yes. It was Danny. You okay. can just say it was Danny. Okay, it was Danny. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, he, he goes, bud, if you need somebody to read this stuff, I'll read it for you. Because I'll come on the podcast. I'll, I'll 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 read it and then you can put it on the podcast. I can do it. <laughs> so then he <laughs> gave me a taste sample of what uh, you know how how good his reading was. And he's like, I could do better. He goes, I really haven't had much to drink, but I think I could do better if I had more. My question is, does he read better than you? Yeah, maybe. It doesn't take much. I mean, my four month old's probably getting close to that, but. You know, you know, it's fine. It's fine. You know, I mean, hey, you know, it's just how it goes. Yeah. You know? But but yeah, so he's like, so then uh, he read it. Then I read what he fucking gave to me, gave to me to like show me a picture of it. And I'm like, well, I don't know what the fuck that is, but whatever. <laughs> no, because they, they invented the language. They don't know how to speak it. No. You well, know? I mean, but. Too many yeah. fucking vowels and shit that don't need to be there. Because you guys clearly didn't pay by the letter when the printing press was around, but like we he, did here. And then he wants to do like a like a sp- thing, uh, I don't know, like a a word off or a, or a reading off, I guess, between him and Ben. <laughs> so what I gathered from the conversation I had with him was he wanted to have the two of them on an episode with us. Which I don't know how that's going to work because XLR cables aren't that long. No. you know, And I'm not flying them over here. Like, no offense, guys, but I'm fucking poor. I and mean, I'm also saving up for just stupid shit. I also just got a brand new truck, so. <laughs> so, I got some no money. I can't fly myself to fucking work, you know. You drive yourself to work. Yeah. Okay. My, my payments only went up $23, though. Going from my heap of shit to my new truck, which is fucking excellent. Super excited. Very happy. So, anyway, okay. now that we've got all that shit out of the way, I guess. And I hate that we fucking turned into that podcast just now where it's like, hey, we're going to dive right into it. 
fucking here we go 15 minutes later after just bullshit we're not it's only 10 whatever it's close enough people I mean, have already lost interest it, yeah as probably. soon as they heard our voices they're like Ugh, oh, and just no. shut it off fuck i'm gonna go listen to fucking crime and sports or something good yeah they're probably like oh, fucking rambling yeah what the fuck these guys you can tell that they're fat just and, and, it, and it'll be like hey if you look i know i really like this but this episode you know if you really want to get into it just skip the first like 10 minutes of it and then you'll get into the... But you know who won't be complaining about stuff like that? People in the Marine Corps. Why? Because they can't read. <laughs> sure, they like crayons. <laughs> I'm kidding. We actually have a couple of people... I'm not. We have a couple of people on the on the Facebook page that are, believe it or not, actually also both podcast hosts that are also, I'm not going to say former Marines, because I know the... He's a former Marine. You know. Fucking Marine! I yeah. straight to kill! Yeah, we, we, we do have a few people that listen to... Well, I don't know if they actually listen to the show, but they're on the Facebook page. One of them does, for sure. <laughs> well, make up my mind. Uh, so we got Justin Rimmel, who's oh. a, a Marine. He eats crayons. Thanks, buddy. And uh, Kent Chungus, who hosts uh, True Crime Kent, which is a far superior podcast to this one that you're and currently I'm gonna listening say, to. I'm going to say he eats crayons, too, because, you know, a guy I work with is a Marine, and I told him, he, I'm like, shut up, Marine. Go eat some crayons. He's like, crayons are good! Has has he switched over to crayon stew mode for the year yet? Uh, Break no. out the crock pot? No, not yet. Okay. Because, I mean, if you're going to eat crayons, you have to stick with Crayola because they taste better than the well, Rosart Of ones. course. Yeah. That's, he's already told me that. Rosart's bullshit. It's like the fucking, you know. Uh, he prefers some colors over others. Why, why, why eat fucking, I mean, no disrespect, but why eat a Salisbury steak, which is the Rosart, when you could have a filet mignon, which are the Crayola? Of course. You know. I mean, so. the Salisbury steak's not bad. I, I, I'll, I'll, I will fuck up a Salisbury steak. Oh, yeah. Fucking the whole goddamn thing. But that's but. just my white trash upbringing, because I'm like, filet, what's this filet mignon thing? I ain't never <laughs> yeah. seen none of that. Fuck that. I ain't never <laughs> seen no fucking round meat. What the hell is this? <laughs> Who the fuck eats round little small meat? And I want that's my a- fucking Salisbury steak with mashed potatoes, gravy, and I want goddamn mushrooms and onions on it. Fuck. See, yeah. you don't need, you know, see, you already have the gravy from the Salisbury. So all you have to do is just fucking... Extra gravy. There's no such thing as too much gravy. That's true. It's like pasta sauce with spaghetti. There's no such thing as too much extra sauce. No. Because then you get bread and you get fucking uh-huh. ends. You know? Yeah. It's all good. Anyway, so... <laughs> Back to these crayon yeah, eaters. <laughs> so I've always been kind of curious with some some shit with the Marine Corps. Um, and I was, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, where the hell did most of this shit come from in the Marine Corps hymn? Um... Which from the halls of Montezuma. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm going. Um, Oh, by the way, I've I've got something special that's going to run before the episode. Um, So we'll eat our country's crayons (laughs) on land or air or sea. Do they do anything in the air? No. Yes, they do. They do? Yeah. Oh. Guy I work with was a um, a mechanic for... (laughs) They think of fucking airplanes. That's not the same thing. They do. They do stuff in the Without air. the Navy, the Marine fucking Air Force bullshit thing doesn't exist. So, well, that will fuck technically without the Navy, the Marines don't exist because that's, you know, Marine as being in, you know, water and whatnot. So. You're right. You're right. So, but yeah, the, the halls of Montezuma, shores of Tripoli. Why is this? Why were these events so important to put them into the song? Okay. So, obviously, we got to start off with the first verse of it. So, during the Mexican-American War, U.S. forces drove the Mexican fighters from the position at Chapultepec Castle, 
which guarded the western approach to Mexico City. Uh, they did this on September 8th, uh, 1847. Right from Chipotle Castle. Yes. <laughs> nice. This castle that'll give you the shits, and it's got undercooked rice in it. Hey. Uh, you know... As long as long, long as that uh, carne carne salsa. Everybody fucking raves about Chipotle and they're sleeping on Moe's. Moe's is different. Moe's is the superior Mexican restaurant. Mm. And if you, it's gonna sound crazy. You go to the one in, in West Lebanon, New Hampshire. I have never walked into a Mexican restaurant and seen actual Mexican people working there. This one is, I believe, owned and operated by a Mexican couple, and they are so nice. Hmm. And son of a bitch, do they just like. They put so much food in my crunch wrap that as soon as he put it on the press, it split. It's oh. like, oh, uh, fat dance. I was very excited. Um, <laughs> no, they're like Mexican, Mexican, not, you know, fucking, you know, born in East L.A. Mexican. Oh, like, uh, no, think, no cholo. You, you asshole. <laughs> no, no, they didn't have their fucking hats pulled down to like the top of their eyelids and, you know. Khaki shorts and high socks. But they still which, just say que pasa. Yeah. They're, you know, That's true. They speak Latino. Latin, Spanish. I like to think whatever. that if I lived like out in California, I would have a, I would be friends with a lot of Mexican folks because they're just fucking awesome. You know. Well, all the you know the I made mo- friends with the ones that work at the farms here. So all the nin- ninas and you know the all the you know the, the the mamas and mamacitas and all that stuff, they'd be fucking be like, hey, eat, bitch. Yeah, I, I've I've told my wife more than once if I hadn't met her, I would I would have probably ended up marrying a Latino woman because it's just. Everything's there that I'm interested in. So they fucking you know, feed you food, family. I mean, I mean you're you know it, it fits though because you know being half Monster Italian. Butts. I'm all on it. <laughs> being half Italian with all the food, you know, whatever, man. It's okay. Yeah, it's just a different level of spice. Anyway, <laughs> so on September 11th, um, the not a, not the bad one um, of 1847, which is before the uh, well, yeah, before the the cave just a people, little bit before this cave people figured out how to fly planes because hey. uh, you know planes weren't around yet. I don't know if Afghanistan technically existed at that point either, but whatever. I think it did. Um, so there was a council of war held. Um, a council and, of war? Yes. So this is basically just a meeting of the higher-ups. And this is a fucking who's who of attendees at this thing, okay? It's headed by General Winfield Scott, who became only the second lieutenant general of the military of all time after fucking George Washington. So he's kind of important. Mm-hmm. Um he went on to be in the Civil War. Yeah. Well. But he wasn't, like, <laughs> the man. No, but, I mean, he at this point in time, he is the man. Mm-hmm. Um, so Scott wanted to do a full assault on the castle, um, and the only other person that supported him would be General David E. Twiggs, who would be the oldest general on the Confederate side of... The civil of the civil war. Yeah. Spoiler alert: We're going to fight each other here shortly, um, and he's the only other one that supported this idea. Two others in attendance suggested, and knowing what's going to happen here in about twenty years, not really surprising that they suggested attacking from the south. And these would be uh, Lieutenant and I love this motherfucker's name again. Uh, fucking go listen to. Let them fight because they did an episode on this guy and he's got the greatest name ever. Pierre Gustave Toutant Beauregard. Or as he would be known by just about everybody, PGT Beauregard. Um, and a young captain by the name of Robert E. Lee. These guys are like, nah, we should just attack from the south. Which is kind of going to be our game plan here in like 15 years. Okay, yeah, because Robert E. Lee only rose to colonel. 
during the Civil War. No. Yep. What I'm saying is he didn't gain that rank until the Civil War. What? At this point in time, he was a captain. No, 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 no. Well. And he was just a before, general. Just before but, Civil War started, he only... He was only a colonel, right? But he became a general. They I were mean, gonna, they were, they were actually gonna make him a general if he had stayed. Yeah, I mean, he, but he, but he, he's like, fuck yeah. you, I can't stay and you know have you fight against my country, yeah. which is you know, Virginia, Virginia. Yeah, because back then, you know, also the Duke boys weren't cruising around in the Colonel Lee, hey. which uh, that's he, just a terrible fucking name for a car. Let's just leave the fucking you know General Lee out of this. No. Praise hell, praise Dale. Yes. <laughs> um, so while all this planning is going on for the Americans, um, General, President, Dictator, President again, Santa Ana, is preparing the castle. Ah. So that that dude, we could do an, our, his own episode because he did some shit. Like, uh-huh. he had an interesting life. Um, so according to records that are available at the General National Archive in Mexico City, and I had to translate that from... Spanish because my Spanish is fucking terrible, and I was like, I don't know what any of these words mean. They look familiar. General Nacional. Yeah, and I was like, no, you went a little Hitlery there with the Nacional thing, but that's cool. Um, I did not. Mm. <laughs> Nacional Socialist Party of Mexico. Wow, wow, wow. Holy wow. shit, Mexican Nazis. Yes. <sighs> that movie needs to be made. Hmm. They probably exist. Except somehow they they're the ones that figured out how to make werewolves. That's true. Mexican Nazi werewolves. Son of a bitch. They're like basically chupacabras. Verbal trademark. Um, <laughs> so, according to these records, only 400 men were here to defend this castle, and 100 of them were cadets. The cadets ranged in age from 12 to 17. So he's got 100 children at this castle ready to fight. <laughs> Plus, you know, like their dads and uncles and shit. Uh, so on the 12th, the artillery barrage started at dawn and, um, they would kind of, you know, launch artillery, chill out for, you know, a couple hours and make them think like, maybe that's all they got. And they're like, ha, this is America, motherfucker. Have more explosives. We're just fucking chucking artillery at these guys again. Um, and after a little bit, Winfield Scott's like, okay, let's just chill, calm down. And then he sends the infantry charge. So they threw the fucking kitchen sink at this castle. Um, obviously, they don't have make much headroom because uh, they're fighting a castle, uh-huh. which uh, as Americans, we're not used to. We would have had to go back to these guys would have had to go back to, I don't know, like a great grandparent potentially would have assaulted a castle in England or some shit. Um, not a lot of castles here if you're not from America. Um, there is one in California that a bunch of uh, Nazi sympathizers built in the 1930s for Hitler after he won World War II to come uh-huh. visit. And there's still pictures of that. It's pretty cool. Huh. Um, so the artillery comes fucking hammering in. The attack eventually fizzles out because they had to wait for their storming ladders. And this is where the Marines come in. Because at this point in time in history... The Marines weren't what they are now. They were pretty much used for uh, as, you know, gunners on naval ships. And when they were on dry land, they're basically used as supply carriers and support. They were not fighters. So this group of 40 Marines come running up ladders in hand. Some of the accounts report that they had 80 ladders. So, but every two sets of men were carrying two ladders, like one on each side. Yeah. And, And these are big ass ladders. These are, you know, 
50, 75 foot long ladders to storm walls of a fucking castle with. Yeah. Um, so they get all of these ladders up. Um, and they actually kind of had them in perfect positions so that the infantry can scale on two sides so they can hit them. They can kind of focus on one section of the wall and hit that section and then regroup or split off. The first man to reach the parapet would also be the deciding factor about 16 years later in the civil war. Um, George fucking Pickett was the first American to set foot on the top of this castle. So he wasn't always a fucking buffoon, <laughs> you know? And he wasn't even technically a buffoon at Gettysburg. He was just given shit orders to do something really, really stupid. Yeah. Um, now, if it had been Custer, I'd be like, oh, no, this shitbag is a shitbag. Yeah, because a, uh, a lot of the guys that fought in the Mexican-American oh, yeah. War were, were all friends. I mean... That they Most all... of them graduated from West Point within yeah. a couple of years of each other. Yeah. I mean, Longstreet and Pickett and yeah. Winfield Scott. I mean, who actually later on like got, got his fucking... Was like, yeah, you're shitty, so get the fuck out of and here. And it's like, uh, I, I don't think they went... The, I don't think they graduated the same year, but Lee and Grant were within a class or two of each other. And they, they graduated at opposite ends of said classes because Lee graduated towards the top of it. And Grant was just like, nah, there's like two sips of booze here and a bunch of cigars. I'm fucking off. But he also kicked a large portion of ass during the Mexican-American War, but he wasn't a fucking Marine, so we're not going to yeah. talk about him. No. Um, so the American flag would be planted on the parapet, and not too long afterward, um, the whole thing kind of came to an end. So that is where the Halls of Montezuma Park comes from. Okay. So to finish off the second half of this, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, fucking bar or whatever it is in the song, we have to go back in time to the 1790s. So in between us, just kicking the dicks off the British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know we burned down the White House. Big fucking deal. We're Fuck. current. We might as well do that fucking. That now. was in 1812. Right. So, ooh, you burned down the White House. But ooh. listen, they ate a fucking meal first. Okay. Yeah. That our yeah. president's wife made sure those motherfuckers had a meal. Yeah, Ben, that I got that right. I said she it. She broke the Constitution because that is against her Fourth Amendment right exactly. of illegal search. No, wait, Fourth Amendment would be uh, was it Fourth or Sixth, where it says you you don't have to allow soldiers into your house to quarter. Uh that's that's under uh, under the Fourth, Second, no. It's, I think believe it's the fourth. If I was in my truck, I have my pocket constitution there because I like to keep my registration in that in case I ever get pulled over and I have it uh, saved right into, you know, the illegal searches and seizures part. And officers tend to not find that entertaining <laughs> as much as I do, at least. Um, so, yeah, big fucking deal. You burn the White House down. We're in the process of doing that anyway, because our country is becoming a smoldering ball of shit run by a bunch of fucking morons on either side of the aisle. But we just keep electing them because people don't vote with their brains. They vote with their feelings. And they also just vote depending on what fucking letter everybody has after their, after their name. Like, so cause, Regardless. Because you can't vote another party. No, no, no. Because God forbid I find a Republican that has a good idea that I like. Because yeah. I, I can't do that. Or, you know, well, these what? fucking snowflake Democrats can't vote for one of them either. Even though some of them don't have terrible ideas either. 
Last time we had a fucking, you know, like a three-party system was a long time ago, and it was the Republicans, the Democrats, and the Whigs. Yeah. Well, the Whigs kind of come up here a little bit, actually. Um, so after the U.S. separates from the evil empire, the British decide uh-huh. to inform the Barbary states, which uh, consists basically of Tripoli, Algiers, and Morocco, that any ship flying an American flag is just free to attack. Whatever. Because for the longest time, the British Navy, what I mean, the British Navy even at this point in time is still, if not number one, top two in the world after uh-huh. the Spanish, or, you know, with the, right up there with the Spanish or Portuguese. Um, but they had protection for all of these American trade ships that would go back and forth into the Middle East. Yeah. Because the Barbary states would be like, oh, fuck, a Union Jack, we best not. But now they're like, ah, this punk-ass new country. They've only been around for fucking, you know, a cup of coffee, and we've been here since, you know, Saladin and shit. Um, so now that the U.S. is a free target, Day Muhammad captures several American ships and then declares war on the U.S. Um, so, again, being a young nation, we didn't really have a lot we could do. Uh, not Didn't really have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of at the moment. Yeah, um, but we were also, you know, had our dander up and we're, we were, uh, you know, our feisty uh, well, teenage Exactly. Years. This is where we start building a reputation because we're like, we don't have enough money to fucking ransom off these ships. So I think we're just going to go get them. You know, and you we're, know? we're going to kick your fucking ass. I'm not even bringing my big brother with me because yeah. he's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> this powdered wig, motherfucker. Um, so the U.S., uh, they did, you know, they thought this would be easy negotiating because they've negotiated deals. Uh, they had one in 1784 with uh, Sidi Mohammed, the Sultan of Morocco, where some other shit had gone on and we had negotiated the re- uh, release of some ships. Um, <laughs> so we tried the same tactics here, but the Sultan of Algiers doesn't budge. He's a douche. Tip shit. So... The U.S. Minister of France, Thomas Jefferson, probably heard of him. Possibly. Yeah. Um, so he attempts to build a coalition to go fuck with Algiers. Um, and, of course, nobody's... Some shit doesn't change. Nobody's willing to join the fight. <laughs> so we're kind of like, we'll do it ourselves. And then Portugal's like, hey, hold up. We're also at war with these motherfuckers. <laughs> so, like, thanks, Portugal, I guess. <sighs> I mean... You, this is literally the last thing you guys did of relevance other than fucking chorizo. They were, they were like, (laughs) listen, we also dislike these assholes. We dislike them, but you started it. So, you know, hey, can we tag along? (laughs) Well, here's the thing is the Portuguese said, we'll help you, but Uh, there's always a but we're not fighting anybody. What we'll do is we will run blocker for you. We'll do some smoking in the bandit shit. And whenever you have ships coming through, we will literally blockade the Straits of Gibraltar to let your ships through. <laughs> so they they set up. Who's like, gonna fucking fire on a goddamn you know Portuguese a, a, ship? A Portuguese man of war. Uh, yeah. Someone who wants to fucking die at sea is who would do that. I mean, uh, there there are some guys that are you know yeah some, different places. Some dude that's very very interested in finding out if virgins can swim in heaven or not. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there are some guys, there, there's some guys that, you know, further like, you know, to the west and south that were like, who like the British? 
No, I'm talking about the fucking the pirates. They're like oh Captain the Barbary Kid, pirates, Captain Kid, and all them. They're like, oh well, the, I'll fuck you up. Pirate dude. tactics and military <laughs> tactics are completely different. It's it's bringing a fucking drunk MMA fighter to a boxing match. I mean, like you know, boxers like squaring up, and then this motherfucker is like six bottles of whiskey deep, and he just spin kicks him in the head. You know, <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't really know how to plan for it. No. Um. So, you know, we'll we'll allow you guys to pass safely. So after things really go to shit, President James Madison starts increasing the Navy uh, because at this point in time, we didn't have a standing Navy because yep. we just didn't uh, we really have a standing army. Well, I mean, we kind of were at this point in time, but we hadn't really completely spun down from the Revolutionary War. And it was probably a good thing because we're going to need him again, you know, in a minute or two. So he sends a fleet led by Commodore Stephen Decatur. The real action kind of comes at the Battle of Derna, uh, where the USS Philadelphia was run aground and captured. Decatur conducted a raid into the harbor and burned the ships under the noses of the city's defenses. So they went in at night and they fucking burned these ships to the ground. Like, just fingers in the air on their way out. Um, Fuck your ships! (laughs) They should have never gave you English money. Uh, so a sortie, uh, a sortie by American gunboats captured or sank four enemy gunboats. Pretty impressive for, you know, being the new kid on the block. The Bashaw was uh, was impressed, but not overawed. Um, Bashaw being uh, another type of uh, fucking rank of whatever. Um, so the capital city, uh, you know, he wasn't really impressed with this because they're still uh, just, you know, uh, fucking at a standstill here with the capital city. Um, and then there's also, as they're trying to do all this shit, Barbary pirates are just kind of fucking floating around and, you know, picking, you know, taking pot shots at them and shit like that. Um, so this guy Eaton uh, sets up a, a meeting with uh, another uh, admiral uh, by the last name of Hammett in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, it was agreed that Eaton would be an overall command of not just his forces of eight Marines and two Navy midshipmen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was in command of a whole 10 men. This is an important dude. He is. Yeah. Middle management. Um, but he would also be in command of 500 or so Arab freebooters, which were basically waterbound mercenaries, not quite pirates. <laughs> okay. Like they would float from port to port and offer their, their bullshit to, you know, go fight other people. Okay, mercenaries. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this little army is just kind of, they march about 500 miles across the Libyan desert to the walls of Derna. The Arabs, uh, the Arabs revolted several times, and uh, the expedition ran out of food. But the undisciplined mob nonetheless took position for, uh, and started getting ready to storm the city. On April 27th, 1805, Captain Hull gets three of his Navy ships close enough to bombard the walls of the city, while the eight Marines and Captain Eaton attack the sides of the fortification um, where the defenders have kind of retreated. So they've, they, they're they blowing the shit out of these walls, and they stop, and these guys just charge in. Yeah. Because there's nobody there to defend because they fucking ran off because they don't want to get hit with cannonballs. Smart move. Um when the uh, so Lieutenant Presley O'Bannon, this motherfucker here, he will get his own episode. I swear to God, he will because he is badass. Um, 
quote, hauled down the enemy's flag and planted the American ensign on the wall of the battery. One Marine was killed and two were wounded, uh, with Hammett's forces on the opposite side of the city, losing 10 men. The walled city of Durna, the walled city of Durna was now the possession of the United States and would, uh, basically become almost like a U.S. port there. Uh huh. So, yeah. So that's kind of where you have the, to the shores of Tripoli part of it comes in. Um, because we went in there and we're like, Hey, I got this dude. His name is Presley, which sounds really, really gay, uh. but he is going to just slap the fuck out of you. Um, so basically the other really cool thing that happened here is after all of this shit was going on, there was another Sultan in the area, a Sultan or some kind of a religious leader or whatever in the area that was friendly to the U S presented Presley O'Bannon with this long ass, like ceremonial curved sword. And he brought it home and it was like, this is pretty rad. And then he would just start walking around in his, in his fucking dress blues with it strapped to his hip. And that's where the whole Marine Corps saber came from. Ah. He's like, this is cool. It's a little fucking unwieldy. And uh, I don't have genie shoes big enough to wear to, to use this thing. Uh-huh. So they kind of were like, we'll kind of slightly redesign it, make it a little slimmer, faster, maybe get, you know, good for cavalry. That's where the Marine Corps Sabre came from. Ah, so knocked cool. out two fucking Marine Corps things right there. Wow. Um, so I know you're thinking, wow, that was a quick one. We ain't done yet. We ain't done yet. Well, I didn't think we were. No, we ain't done yet. I mean, there's more to pick on. <sighs> Well, this this next one, there is no picking on this. So we'll take a break, come back, and fucking get it. So you probably thought this is just going to be, oh, we're just going to talk about Marine Corps battles and, you know, all the, some of the, the, the different shit that, you know, like they're different little things here. Not quite. Because I threw you a curveball. We're also going to talk about, you know, 50-50. We're also going badass here, too. So... Oh boy, these fucking names, man. I'm telling you. God bless the Italians. When Dora Beneventia caught the eye of Salvatore Bassalone, the two fresh off the boat Italian kids couldn't know that one member of the brood that they would bring into this world would end up on the Mount Rushmore of the Marine Corps. So when you think of super famous, badass Marines, most people think Chesty Puller, Dan Daly, uh, Smedley Butler and John Bassalone. So we're going to talk about John Bassalone for a little bit. Fucking dickhead. What? <laughs> did you have him planned? I already fucking did a whole thing on him. You did? Yeah. Just now? For this week? So, yeah, something. Yeah. Son of a bitch. It's okay. I can... I so can, here's what we can do, though. I can, uh, I can work with it. Exactly. And you can kind of... No, no, no. I can... No, no, I no. Can... What I'm saying is, since you've already done this, this... Legitimately, the first time in 218 fucking episodes that this has ever happened, where we've accidentally covered the same person for the same fucking week. But hey, the cool thing is, now you can like interject some of the shit that you found too, and we can really just fucking bang on this. I didn't realize that when you said you found another dude, it was the fucking dude. <laughs> shit. <laughs> That's all good. So what we'll do is, was he your Patreon or your regular episode? Uh-uh. What? It was part of, I was going to be part of regular. Okay. So 
Because so, I was gonna do, uh, I was gonna pick another guy too. Okay. Do you want me to do one for that also, for your regular episode? Uh, I don't care. Okay. It might not be a marine, but it'll be for Veterans Day. Okay. So sorry, I didn't realize that this was gonna happen. <laughs> It's kind of fucked up because as like, soon as you said "fucking bass," I was like, "You, you fucking!" I, I, I saw the "oh, you cocksucker" in your eyes. <laughs> I was like, Aww. "God damn it!" Uh, anyway, so I'll wait for you to get pulled up, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of fucking tag team this and see what we can come up with. Oh, because I I do have some excellent stuff. Oh in... no! Wait, hold on, you motherfucker, you. Did you just pick another random guinea and think it was John Bassalone? No, you're right. I did not. I picked another guinea. So you just, like, pulled another random Dago out of your ass and like, ah, it's John Bassalone. Ah, you fucking son of a bitch, no, you. Uh, no, I uh, I thought I picked uh Yeah, I know. No, it's okay. Crisis averted. <laughs> Anyways, Jesus Christ. That might no. be the most racist thing you've ever done. Just thinking that all Italian war heroes look the same. You know. Don't worry about it. They all come out of the womb with a fucking wife beater and one of them little gold horn necklaces. They do. You know. Pasta hands going. Yeah. Fucking grease back hair slapping their wives around. But no. Uh, this ain't the mafia. These are heroes. Come on. If you pick fucking Bill Garnier and you're like, oh yeah, duh. <laughs> He's <laughs> Italian too. <laughs> Hey, but he's not a fucking Marine. <laughs> this isn't spaghetti. This is noodles with ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> As a fellow uh, Italian, you should be ashamed. Uh, holy shit. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't pick Barcelona because I thought that we had actually covered Barcelona. We haven't actually. Some, some fucking how neither one of us has picked up John Barcelona yet. Because I thought I covered him. No, I don't believe so. I didn't I did. see it in the records anywhere, at least. I thought I did, but uh, that's okay. So, you know holy what? Holy Christ. Anyway, we'll cover him. We will. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> so the pair, uh, yeah, the pair end up, you know, marrying and they start spitting out kids. Um, ten of them, in fact. Oh. Um, and, you know, they didn't have them in a litter. Like, I know you think that's how Italians breed, but that's not how it works. Fuck that. This, you know? That's how it happens. They had, they had 10 of them over the course of a series of years. Mm-hmm. Like normal people. Sure. Probably some Irish twins in there, here yeah. and there, but whatever. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I'm sure the other nine, they're probably fine. Just, you know, good people. Number six is special because John Bassalone would come into the world November 4th, 1916 in Buffalo, New York. And, uh. Unfortunately, since they weren't, you know, letting two-year-olds join, he couldn't fight in World War One. Mm. Um, it would have been funny to see a toddler with a shotgun and a gas mask, though. <laughs> just jumping into German trenches and just fucking blam, and he'd just go flying backwards. The shotgun just stays there in midair. Ah, <sighs> uh, war crimes. So, he, uh, when he was still young, the family would move back to Raritan, New Jersey, which is where... Um, the rest of the kids had been born previously. So they moved to Buffalo for a little bit, probably for work or something, and mm. then moved back. Um, and Sal, that was basically Sal's hometown. He had lived there his whole life up until then. Because um, he came over when his family, uh, when he was like 10 or 11. Um, and Dora came over when she was even younger. She was like three or four when she came over. So he would attend St. Bernard's Paro- uh, parochial, yeah, 
parochial school. Um, and he did that after going to middle school. Um, but he didn't, he didn't stick in, in school long. He dropped out at 15 and, uh, he would, uh, become a golf caddy at a local golf course. And, uh, in 1934, John hits the recruiting office and joins the army. He was assigned to the 16th infantry in Fort J, uh, which is kind of down on the, the very tip of, of Long Island. So like Long Island looks like a dick. Fort J is kind of where you'd piss out of. Yeah. You know, it's the eye of the dick. Um, so the next day, the very next day, he's discharged from the army. Then he would reenlist and be assigned to the 31st in- infantry. Mm. So I think this is the first guy that we've covered that has been in the military for less than 24 hours, been discharged for whatever reason, and then just gotten like, ah, fuck it. And just got signed up again. Um, kind of, <laughs> kind of a fucking weird thing to do. So after finally getting settled in, uh, he'd be shipped off to the Philippines where he would become the army boxing champion for his weight class. Couldn't really figure out what his weight class was. Probably one of the lighter ones. Cause he wasn't a real big dude. He was like five, six, five, seven, probably like 140 pounds, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe a featherweight straw weight somewhere in there. Um, so after three years in the army, just beating the shit out of his fellow soldiers, his time there came to an end and then he'd end up going back stateside. So he sits at home for a little bit and just kind of, you know, has the thought, well, this is time to go join the Marine Corps. And uh, he did that just in time. <clears throat> he signed up in 1940, went to uh, Marine Corps Recruiting Depot, Paris Island, where he uh, graduated and would uh, then head off to his next phase at the Marine Corps base in Quantico to finish up training. And from there, he went to Guantanamo Bay for being an enemy combatant in Afghanistan. Well, at Guantanamo Bay, the shifty Japanese would Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor, and then uh, that kind of made him mad. So within six months, he would be one of the first hard-charging, dick-swinging devil dogs up the beach on Guadalcanal. He didn't fuck around. This would be a super cool place to visit now, because I was like, I couldn't remember exactly where Guadalcanal was on the map. So I was like... Look in, and I start looking at pictures. And there is so much stuff still there from World War II. It's like a living museum, because you've got, like, burned-out planes that have been shot down. You've got fucking Japanese bunkers that are still accessible to the public to go into. All of this crazy shit. There's probably still fucking Japanese landmines on this island somewhere. Probably. But there's just so much really cool shit to go and see. Um But uh, back in 1942, it was not an excellent place to visit. Um, When the Marines landed, it was pouring rain, and they were deboating in waist-deep, if not deeper, water, and then fighting to the beach. So depending on how tall you were, there's a very good chance that you hit the water, sank, and never come back up. Hmm. Um, Because this, I know for a fact, because I've heard stories that my grandmother told me, um, when my grandfather was in World War II, he was an Army reservist, but they were attached to the Marine Corps um, to drive the Higgins boats. Yeah. And the only reason that my grandfather had that position is because before that, when he was still stateside, because he lived in Springfield, Vermont, he was a taxi driver, truck driver, and a chauffeur. So basically all he'd ever done for a living was fucking drive. And they're like, hey, hop in the back of this this thing and fucking drive these dudes to the beach and try not to get shot in the process. Um but he used to tell her that because they'd come up to the beach and then they would swing like 180. So you have the gates facing towards the beach and they would drop. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just drop the gate wherever you could. And he said 
you know, most of the time you'd see guys go out, they'd hit the water and you'd never see them come back up because they would just sink because they've got all this gear and you don't really know how deep that water is, even though you're close to shore, they just fucking like a stone to the bottom and you'd never see them again. Um, and the whole time driving in, you're, you know, he was basically hunkered down below steering and kind of peeking up over because he was taking fire in the fucking boat. He couldn't reach up to grab his grab his rifle off of the rack behind him. Right. He would have got shot. Um, so after hours of fighting, they would eventually capture Henderson Field, which would be a huge strategic win for the good guys. This made it possible to bring men, gear, and machines further into this tropical hellscape that they're now marching through. Mm. As the fight in Guadalcanal started to turn like three-day-old tuna rolls left out in the sun, the Japanese commander on the, <clears throat> on the island whipped up a last-ditch effort to retake the airfield. So I did do a lot of the research here from badassoftheweek.com, which mm. is a fucking incredible website. I've got all the dude's books. What's up? No, no, it is. Oh, okay. This is too good to leave out. And I quote in regards to this counterattack the Japanese are about to launch. A delicate mix of subtlety, sublime tactics, and an intricate battle plan plan that basically consisted of, let's take 3,000 motherfuckers with grenades and bayonets and shove them right up everyone's assholes. A sound plan of attack, to be sure, especially considering that these 3,000 dudes were, were all we're all being hurled into a narrow pass defended by, by one 15 man machine gun team attached to the seventh Marine regiment. But unfortunately for the Japanese, they didn't bank on the fact that gunnery Sergeant John Bassalone was a human force field of bullets and had no intention of sitting back and letting himself get steamrolled by a force 200 times larger than his own attachment. Please. He didn't give a fuck about nothing. No, he's like, fuck you guys. Yeah. Little finger. Yeah. Suck it. Fuck you. Fuck your stupid eating sticks. Fuck your raw fish. Yep. You know, fuck your, you know, used underwear vending machines that you guys are going to have. That might be partially our fault. Not sure. Not taking any blame because they deserved it. Um, the Marines knew that this attack was coming. And much like the historically accurate documentary 300, John Bassalone sets up his defense at the hot gates. Unfortunately for the Japanese, these were not dudes in diapers with sprayed on abs. These were hardcore, crazy fucking leathernecks with barbed wire and 30 caliber weapons. Hmm. From here, I'm going to just refer back to this incredible, this, this whole article here from uh, Ben Thompson over at Badass of the Week. He didn't have to wait long after digging in. In the middle of the night, October 24th, 1942, the full-on frontal attack of balls-out Japanese infantry came blitzing through the ankle-deep mud and driving rain. As a fearsome horde of screaming, bayonet-waving Japanese soldiers rushed towards Henderson Field, looking to bury the U.S. base in piles of American corpses, mortars, artillery, and hand grenades poured into the heavily, heavily outnumbered American position, uh, Basiloon knew... Basiloon? That's not even his fucking name. Basiloon knew that some serious shit's about to go down. The Marines fought bravely against the onslaught, but the Japanese human wave attack never stopped never relented, and for the next 72 hours, day and night, there wasn't a minute of their lives that wasn't haunted by a screaming Japanese dude stuffing a blade in their mugs or zinging bullets into the American sandbags. Barcelona, however, wasn't going to fucking budge. For three days and nights without food or sleep, in a marathon of carnage that can only be referred to as Jack Bowerian? 
I'm assuming that's a 24 reference. Never watched that show. I heard it was good, though. Yeah, I never uh, watched it. Bastalone lugged a giant-ass 100-pound br- uh, Browning heavy machine gun from position to position, constantly readjusting his field of fire and, cons- and constantly making sure that everything in front of his position was coated in a thick wall of tracer fire and crunchy lead death. Uh, when one of his squad's three operational machine guns... J- machine guns jammed up from the caked on mud overheating or having the trigger lever worn off from the extended bouts of cap busting Bastalone worked his nuts off to clear the weapon and get it operational as soon as possible. When taking the time to pop open the firing mechanism wasn't practical because of all the pissed off soldiers trying to put rifle rounds into his brain from point blank range. Bastalone dropped the gun, pulled a 45 from his waistband and opened fire on the attackers with his pistol sometimes from distances of less than 10 feet. So they close the distance and he's like, nah, motherfucker. Uh, I got my, uh, my fucking FUD gun here and you're going to die. Um, at one point in time, he was down to just two survivors in the squad. One of which was now missing a hand. Yet he still continued to fight relentlessly against all the odds because these guys are Marines. They don't need both hands. They will fucking kill you with their feet if they don't have hands. Exactly. <laughs> uh, not everything seemed, uh, not even something as daunting as not ha- as not having ammo and being almost completely overrun by enemies could stop this crazy one man abattoir from I don't fucking I don't uh, IDKFA I don't know what the fuck that means anyway we're gonna skip that uh, from basically just killing his way through the enemy at every possible turn. At one point, he fought his way through the enemy with only his Colt 1911, got back to the airbase, and fought his way back to his squad with enough ammo to keep the guns fully operational. Fuck. By the time the sun rose on the fourth day, Gunnery Sergeant John Bassalone's machine gun crew had just three men standing. He'd burned through 125 belts of ammunition. I believe there's 100 rounds on each belt. Something like that. That's a lot of fucking ammo. Yeah. The entire Japanese regiment was annihilated. After Bassalone uh, picked his way through the mountains of bodies, he received the Medal of Honor for his balls-out actions and returned to the States to a ticker tape parade. Between this guy and Mitchell Page, the Japanese didn't stand a chance at uh, Guadalcanal. These two Marines nearly single-handedly held the line against impossible odds, crushing everything in sight with their nutsacks and machine guns and maintaining the island as a forward base deep in the heart of the Japanese Empire. Once Bassalone's story got out in the papers and everyone had a solid appreciation for just how much ass this guy could kick, Bassalone was understandably looked at as a larger-than-life hero amongst the American public. He went on a national tour to raise war bonds and pumped up the populace along the home front. And the Corps offered him an officer's commission and an opportunity to train troops at, ba- uh, at bases stateside. But Bassalone wasn't a politician or a figurehead. He was a warrior. He refused... M- any MOS that didn't involve firing heavy weapons at enemy combatants telling his commanders that he wasn't going to turn his back on the Marines that needed him the most. So John Bassalone went back into the shit. His next assignment was the amphibious landing on the beaches of Iwo Jima, which wasn't exactly a picnic or anything like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But this guy wouldn't have it any other way. Back in his familiar role as a machine gun team leader, Bassalone stepped right into the business of slaughtering Imperial soldiers and pumping up Marines with his awesome ability to become totally hardcore at will. <laughs> Make him sound like the fucking thing. He's just like, bam, I'm rocks now. Fuck you. Uh, so as soon as the landing craft hit the beach, the Marines came under intense fire from heavily fortified Japanese blockhouses on the ridge ahead. 
Basalone, who was apparently also completely immune to fear in any capacity, ran up and down the beach, getting his men up and urging them to, uh, to get to cover. Once his troops were safely not being torn the fuck apart by Japanese machine guns, Basalone grabbed a satchel of explosives, ran up to the nearest blockhouse, and blew it into the prehistoric age with a series of grenades and demo charges. The pinned-down marines received a brief respite, picking themselves up and continuing, uh, continuing pressing on the attack. But amazingly, Basalone still hadn't reached his lifetime ass-kicking quota. He pressed forward towards the Iwo Jima airfield. As he, as he reached a mine-infested field of mud and nasty shit, saw a couple of U.S. Marine Corps tanks stuck in the ground, unable to move forward. Basalone knew that these tanks would be pretty useful against machine gun nests, being that, you know, they're bulletproof and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, despite the zipping machine gun bullets, exploding artillery shells, and motherfuckers shooting anti-tank rockets at his helpless vehicles, Basalone ran the fuck up into, open, into the open field and helped push the tanks free. The combined forces of tanks and infantry overran the air forces, def- uh, the overran the airfield's defenders, uh, capturing Iwo Jima's most critical location for the Americans. Unfortunately, Basalone wouldn't be around to drink some celebratory whiskey with his guys. He was killed by mortar shrapnel not long before the end of the battle. He posthumously received the Navy Cross, the second highest for bravery uh, available to, to the Marine Corps thus becoming the only Marine from the war to earn both the Navy Cross and the Medal of Honor. He's now buried in Arlington National National Cemetery um, for, you know, veterans and stuff. Um, but he is also the only man... Wait, to, to get what? The Navy Cross and the Medal of Honor. Uh, I'm going to say call bullshit on that. And everybody will find out in the Patreon episode. Go over to patreon.com okay. forward slash Dark Windows Podcast, and you will find out... The guy that has both those. But there's also one distinction that he holds by himself. He is the only man to ever receive the Medal of Honor, go back into combat, and be killed. Which sucks. Because fucking Dan Daly got one, went back, fought again, got one, went back to more fighting, should have got one, but they're like, we can't give him fucking three. We can't do it. I mean, you probably can. You probably can. But, you know, bureaucracy and shit. Mm. A bunch of pencil pushers and dickhead politicians that are just like, well, well, if we give him three, it's going to make him too powerful. He's going to have to become president. No, no. You could have just given him a third fucking Medal of Honor and he would have been fine. He was fine anyway. He didn't give a shit. And all that shit that he did, he never got a fucking Purple Heart out of it either because he never got hurt. But, um, yeah, John Bassalone is definitely on fucking uh, Marine Corps uh, Mount Rushmore. Nice. You know, um, the only other one that you could maybe put up there to add a fifth would be like Carlos Hathcock, but he's right on the brink there. Cause I mean, yeah, we're, yeah he, and like he was I said, a badass sniper. Yeah. But he wasn't fucking, he wasn't like, John Bassalone. Like I said, um, we're going to cover a guy that's, yeah. um, on the Mount Rushmore. He was a little bit before Bassalone, you know, World War One. Okay. He's he's like I'm gonna say he's an OG. Okay. This guy. 
Okay. We're gonna we're gonna cover. Yeah, but you have to go over to Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Dark Windows Podcast. Yeah. Five dollars a month gets you all of this bullshit. Except for last week's episode, which I didn't realize until last night. Never fucking went up. So I have to find it and try to put it up. So what? you might yeah, yeah. You might get two Patreon episodes this week if I can figure out where it went. I have no fucking clue where that recording went. I hit save and everything. I exported it to an MP3 file so I could put it up. No fucking clue where it went. So Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. I thought I saw it. Nope. I'm pretty fucking confident that it didn't. Um, huh. But anyway, okay. Kevin. Also. Roll that beautiful bean bullshit. You can also uh, go over to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can find us. Dark Windows Podcast on Facebook. Dark Windows Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we post that, you know, episodes going up and stuff like that onto there. Um, and also, another thing, go over to studio.com. Check them out. You can find your next pair of Bluetooth headphones, speakers. You can find it. Well, you're not pair, but a Bluetooth speaker. Or Unless you want a pair of speakers, then you can yeah, buy two. True. Um, they won't even fucking get mad. Yeah, they, they, they and won't. I'm pretty confident you can actually link those speakers together through Bluetooth Probably. and use them simultaneously. Yeah, to really just blow your fucking mind. Yeah. Um, and you can also get a pair of earbuds. They got different varieties of those. Yeah. Uh, put those whatever you find in your basket. Go to checkout. Put the promo code of Dark Windows 15 in to get 15 percent off your entire purchase. Now we're gonna roll for. Kevin, before yeah, we end the episode. Yeah, you have a badass for next week. We do. You do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, history. Okay. Easy enough. Historical. Just did it, but I'll fucking do it again. You watch me. Fucking you fucking watch me. I'll do it. Listen. You do it. Goddamn well. You do that shit. I goddamn well. Okay. So, yeah. Other than that, I think uh, that just about wraps up business. So... Just because you can't see out of the dark doesn't mean the dark can't see into you. Ta-ta, motherfuckers. Happy birthday, Devil Dogs. Yes. Oh, man, Devil Dogs sound good, though. I know they do. Oh, you uh, freeze them, dunk them in milk. No. Nah. <laughs> Thank you.